This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are these the new mics? Yes, that's podcast. Okay, let's podcast. So early in the day to podcast. Doesn't this podcast feel like we should do it at night? Yes, this is definitely a nocturnal podcast. Yeah, like with the lights off. Should we shut some stuff down? Maybe make it spooky. Should we? Should you get your central system to shut it all? <laughs> oh, you know the the clapper for the entire thing I have. <laughs> Because I'm rich. <laughs> oh, nothing happened. <laughs> oh, hi. Hey, guys. This well, is my favorite murder. That's Karen Kilgariff. And that's Georgia Hardstark. We're here to talk to you about true crime. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? We haven't planned any of this conversation. No, not at all. Although it did have a kind of a lilting, choreographed quality, that's just how we naturally are with each other. Mm-hmm. That's just us. That's us. We don't write anything down. We don't prepare in any way. We're just like the TV show, This Is Us. That's us. <laughs> Same exact that? thing. No. Um, I'm sure it's great, though. Uh, speaking of TV, uh-huh. this is a good segue yes. that we wrote. <laughs> that, that we rehearsed that, yeah, four times. Like, oh, it just turns out. Oh, that's weird. I just got real TV again after like moving in and being like, we don't need TV, let's just, we'll just do Roku and blah, 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 and all these things. Didn't work? No, and I was like, I just want to turn, like, a food show on while I stuff a tamale into my mouth in the middle of the day. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to beep, boop, pop and find the thing, and then, like, watch the thing. Like, yeah, you... I just want to watch HGTV for five minutes. You want to dive into the stream of TV that's already happening as opposed to hunt out yeah. sp- specific. Because I find when I go hunt out specific things, I don't like it when I find... Like, no. it, it makes me go, oh, I don't actually like this. Like, my food gets cold while I'm... Because I can't <laughs> eat in silence. I have this problem with that. Me too. So... Yeah, it's like you're scrolling like, fine, I can watch an episode of, or like five minutes of Friends while I fucking eat this tamale again. The tamale, I mean, let's be honest, I'm eating cereal for lunch. Um, <laughs> Was tamale the choice you made like this will impress people? <laughs> no, because they're frozen tamales from Trader Joe's. Oh. Those ones that are like, that I just heat up and put salsa on and then I'm like, they're half cold. <laughs> the way you just said that made it sound like you're like, fine, I'll admit it, I'm eating cereal. I want you yeah. to think I'm sitting here eating tamales. Homemade tamales? Okay, fine, it's homemade cereal. <laughs> You know, like I like to do. But you made it yourself. Right. I, yeah. Uh, it's not that prepackaged, pre-milked cereal. Gross. <laughs> pre-milked? Pre-milked. I said it. What if, that was a, what if you, what was it like powdered milk and you pour water into it and it's like cereal and I bet the army has that. Yeah, I bet they do. So it's like there's powdered milk and uh-huh. then there's cereal and then there's a little capsule of water <gasps> and then you break it. And there's like a fucking like shitty spoon attached to the whole thing. It's part of the thing you break. <laughs> Break a thing. It's 
Steven, <laughs> trademark that. Wait, that just reminds me. So Guy, our friend Guy Branham had a Passover cedar. Seder. Seder. Fuck, I do it wrong every time. <laughs> what if he just had a Passover cedar tree in his house? <laughs> I That's how I remembered it that way. I oh. thought Seder, because Seder's like the, anim, like the you know, a guy with goat legs. Really? Seder, S-A-T-Y-R. You oh, know, they play the weird okay. heart. Sure, sure, sure. Anyhow, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Wait, yeah, oh, Guy Branham Sater. How was it? He it was of course lovely. He writes basically like a whole play. Everyone at the table has parts, and you have to like follow along. And you say the prayers, but then there's other things, and we play games. It's hilarious and really fun. But at one point, I he served quail. What? He served quail, and I was eating it, and then I flicked out the tiniest wishbone. And then I did the, I was sitting next to a guy named Matt, who was super cool, who's a writer that I now know. And so we snapped the wishbone and I fucking Fuck won. Yeah, you did. I got my wish. Man, I haven't had a wishbone since I was a kid, probably out of Seder. Was but, exci- I'm like, that makes me so excited. Isn't that funny? And it was a tiny one because it was from a quail. From so a it was like, little- it flicked out. And then I was like, hold on a second. I think I just found a wishbone. It was like that Cue big. Cue the email from fucking animal rights activist saying, Karen, <laughs> you know that wishbone was part of this animal's life and happiness. That's right. Now it's part of my happiness Did because you- it's going to bring me my wish. Give it. What was your wish? Tell us. I can't. We won't tell anyone. Because then it won't come true. Right. That's not a thing. Just eternal love. That's all. <laughs> well, the now it's not going to come true. Well, you tricked me. <laughs> um, did you eat gefilte fish? No. That's my favorite. Uh, it, it wasn't served. He did. So every year he does a different theme. Oh. It's not standard, traditional um, Jewish food. Mm-hmm. So it was Syrian food. Oh, wow. It was a series of dishes that one more delicious than the next. A series of Syrian food? A series of Syrian Series food. of Syrian uh, serving? No. Mm-hmm. Forget it. No, you had it. Um, I like. Well, there are Syrian Jews. I mean, that's cool. Are there? Yeah. Tell me about them. I have never met them, but I'm sure they're there. <laughs> no, I bet they are. Um, okay. That's amazing. Television. Yes. Oh, and speaking of, you need to... You really quickly plugged the Guy Brenham TV show that you're on. Oh, we're that's talking about TV and Guy Brenham. It's so funny, and that, and again, what a great segue! Thanks, I mean, thanks for remembering we your never line. Get to what we're actually talking about. <laughs> it's all scripted, but we never actually. The segues are great, but they never talk about. Yeah, what they just lead us away from topics. <laughs> that's why people hate this podcast. Um, I am on a television show called Talk Show, The Game Show. Guy Branham is the host. He's also our legal representative. and But he is also a talk show host on a game show on True TV Network. So good. It's Wednesday nights at 10 o'clock. Um, two episodes have already played. Tomorrow night will be the third episode. Is that Friday night or Wednesday night? Wednesday night. Oh, shoot. So last night. <laughs> yeah. So next week. Whatever. Shit, I always forget. I'm sure they're, they're playing it. I've seen it constantly. They're playing it over and over. Yeah, I bet they repeat it. And, but, but I wish this was earlier because I think this, they're like, now it's all they're watching the ratings to see if they're going to pick it up. Please everyone, Wednesday, Uh, set your alarm clocks. I guess I'll tweet about it. But anyway, anyway. um, So TV, I got TV finally. And and then I watched, which means I get all access to fucking ID and, you know, Yes. Dateline and all this shit. And everyone's like, did you watch Casey? The like three-part Casey Anthony thing. Right. And so I was like, all right, this is my job. I'm going to do this. And- Can I just say, 
I saw those tweets and questions and hey, watch this and whatever. And I purposely don't watch anything about Casey Anthony. I don't like that. I don't find anything in that story. I was just going to say that. Really? I just don't give a shit about her. I don't want to know. I don't want to know because I hate that story so much. Me too. And I was going to say, I just fucking couldn't watch it. Like, I know it's like my job and I should watch it and talk about it. I was just like, fuck this cunt, man. She just (laughs) sucks so hard. But I don't understand why she, is this the glam glamorization of female criminals in that way where it's like, so she's a young, hot girl that has a child that went to a party and maybe killed her child. But like, are we reporting about her more than other people because she's like a skinny white girl that was like at a party? Is it the same thing as that other girl that killed her boyfriend that... Right. I think they get lumped together a lot. I think what it is is the cold-heartedness in which like... It just, she's such a deep, deep narcissist Uh that it's hard to watch. Like her jail cell, you know, conversations with her parents where, you know, when she first gets arrested is like, me, 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 not my daughter's dead. There's nothing about like my baby is dead. It's like, I can't believe this is happening to me. And I, this isn't fair. And it's just like her, her poor parents have to come to the realization that they raised a piece of shit narcissist who killed what could have been a not piece of shit narcissist or grandchild. And now they like have to stick with her. It's almost like this thing of this is all we have left is to stick with this kid, who, the one who sucked. I can't tell if it's because I haven't had enough Diet Coke today, but I feel nauseous right now <laughs> talking about her. <laughs> like she, that, it makes me nauseous because there's other cold-hearted bitches in the world, but this is like saying, let's pay more attention yeah. to her because she weighs 97 pounds. Sure. I just hate the Nancy Grace of it all for this sure. particular story. And I it's the it. same one with the other one where I would, I was always like, why are we Jody talking Arias. about her? Yes. Why are we talking about her? Totally. And it's the same thing. It's this kind of like, can you believe this hot bitch is this much of a cunt, basically? <laughs> Can you believe hot bitches are cunts? Who yes. knew? Yes. Who fucking knew? There's so many different types of cunts out there. Yeah. It's like, can you believe not hot bitches are funny? Yes, because that's what they <laughs> fucking needed to do. Yeah, that's the standard, actually. Yeah. That's, that's the most common is we're not hot. That's why <laughs> yeah. we're funny. We didn't grow up. I'm not talking to you. I, I meant that for... I didn't mean that in an accusatory well, way. Well, then you should see some photos of me as a kid because <laughs> you ain't wrong. Oh my God, I got a perm and I had braces. Anyways. um, bu- 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 Yeah, so Casey Anthony, no thanks. Stupid idiot. Awful. It's just sad and then awful. There's nothing in there that I go, ooh, this is fascinating. Yeah. I just go, this is a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, it's ugly. Rough. Um, I wrote shit down. Do you have any? What do you want to? Oh, um, I do. Well, this is I wanted to read you because <clears throat> I read this this morning on Twitter. Uh, it said uh, there's a, I guess a website called LAist, and it basically is all the stuff around LA. LAist. Oh, I love LAist. Yeah. Um, they do it in all different cities. Yeah. Um, surely it's owned by Rupert Murdoch or someone like that, <laughs> but it brings me my local news and. The headline this morning was dead body found in car parked in Filipino town. (gasps) And let me just, this is a short thing I will read you. A body was discovered inside a vehicle parked in the middle of the street (gasps) 
along the 300 block of West Lake Avenue. Or is that stopped? That's, that's, well, turns out, uh, they, people found it at 210 in the morning. The body of a male Hispanic in his 30s (gasps) was found in the back seat of a black Hyundai. It had an Uber sticker. (gasps) It's believed to have been towed to that location that it was discovered at. Not driven, towed there. A spokesman for, woman for the LAPD said, told LA, LAist. Oh, my Jesus. mouth is just, I'm not being quiet. My mouth is just dropped open. It's and- crazy that the department cannot confirm these claims that detectives and the coroner are continuing their investigation of the case. So basically, this is what probably they got the scoop on the scene, but no one's going to confirm. We're never going to hear about it again. That's what's so crazy about these things that you hear about. I And then there's just a couple tweets of the pictures of the car sitting there with cops all around it. Oh, my God. But the idea, it's uh, so scary. I've been taking Uber over and over for the past, like, couple well, weeks. My first thought is that he's a driver. Right. Right. Yes, me too. Yeah. And someone put him in the back seat after killing him. Ooh, my dad's about to start driving Uber, so that ain't happening anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, he used to be a taxi driver in, like, North Hollywood. Marty like, was? Yeah. And like down the street from where he was like parked waiting f- late at night to get his next call. Some dude, some cab driver got shot in the back of the head from oh. the back of the seat and he's like quitting. Yeah. So now he's thinking of becoming an Uber driver and it's like, fuck dude, either you're going to have a really great story stories to tell or you're going to be parked in the middle of fucking Filipino town. Well, who knows? I mean, like who knows? I, I want to hear about this story yeah. so bad. That's so crazy. I thought that's that's bananas. Like what? I want the story. Yeah. Um, Oh, I have a a podcast recommendation corner. Mm. So this podcast called The Vanished, which obviously talks about people who vanished. It's like a true crime podcast. (laughs) I mean, let me explain this to you. (laughs) No, I needed a little bit of an underline. Don't worry. So they have this one episode. Oh, I forgot what number it is, but it's the episode uh, of called. the Mimi Lewis story. Mimi. Mm. Um, oh, no. What number is it? Steven. No. Um, it's called The Mimi Lewis Story. And it's really incredible because it, it's not about... It's about this girl, Mimi Lewis, who vanished. She was 14. But it's the whole episode is a conversation with this woman named Sandy Roberts who runs this nonprofit called Halo's Investigation where they try to find missing teens. And they're like, their mission is to stop getting the label runaway mm-hmm. put on teens and juveniles who, who disappear. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a really good episode, especially for parents like of teenagers and young kids about what, like how this happens, what happens, how they're lured, the internet. And they're, they're saying, she's saying, let's stop saying that they're runaways and let's start saying that they were lured away which is like suddenly makes you care so much more. Yes. Because it's this like automatic thing of when you're like, oh, she ran away, then she deserves whatever happened to her. Yeah. But it's like, no, if, if someone manipulated her and, you know, you know, that kind of thing, and she was having a hard time at home and, you know, and was lured away. And there's like a bunch of stuff about uh, sex trafficking and what that means, which is, I mean, it's a really good episode. Wow. That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. It kind of moved me a lot. And that's Vanished. Yeah. Vanished, the vanished. It's the Mimi Lewis episode. Cool. Yeah. 
Um, oh, my sister sent me, uh, so my sister is a big creeper on the um, Facebook page. She likes to go yeah, on there and, and look around silently and secretly. And then she'll text me things that she sees and likes on there. And this She's one, like vetting it for you. Exactly. Um, and so this one was the day after the Milwaukee show. Mm-hmm. And she sent me a text that said, this made me tear up a little. Look at the amazing community you guys created. Um, and, and then it said, uh, went to see the MFM last, went to see MFM last night in Milwaukee. My friend and I went to get dinner beforehand and it was like murderinos descended on Milwaukee. Yay. It was the best ever. Basically everyone we passed, I would whisper, shoot, I would whisper, um, to my friend, they're totally here for the show. <laughs> Definitely a murderino. When we were at bars before and after, you slowly watched groups growing larger and larger Aww. as separate groups would realize that we are all were murderinos and join together. Why can't that be, that be the normal bar scene? Aww. That would be a dream. Thank you, Karen and Georgia. And all, um, I think it, it cuts off at the bottom. It says, I, I think it says, and all murderinos everywhere. Um, but I love that so much. Uh, because actually we didn't create this community. You guys have created yeah. it for yourselves and it's, we're just up here kind of like reading these stories and recording these podcasts, but you guys are uh, the boots on the ground that are like, yes. every time we have a VIP meet and greet after a show, people will tell us, I met them in line. Yeah. I met, I'm now I'm hanging out with that girl. Like it's the cutest thing in the world. I think that's what the live shows have done. Probably the most for us is make us like, actually see all of these people who are like the shows are so positive and I'm always like if people are like I'm scared to go alone it's like no you're gonna meet a hundred fucking cool people that are your friends it's just such a cool thing and I'm I'm, it's not and it's not like they all get together because of our podcast they get together over their love of true crime which we all feel so in the dark about because you're not supposed to talk about it and then it's people I think who aren't really the types of people like it's like somebody like me who I'm not going to be the kind of person that's like hey what are you interested in I'm always like "Mm, arms crossed and I think when people they have it's a you know I just a second ago said it's so cute and that's the worst I hate that word I don't know why I used it Um, because what it really is is a very empowering cool like it's almost like skipping over it's almost like a weird Tinder for friends where you don't have, you go, oh, I know this person already. Yeah. I don't have to like make excuses or pretend I don't like a thing I like. Yeah. I already have this thing in common and then we go from there, which is very cool. Yeah. And it's just, um, to us, it's just a, it's thrilling to be able to be a part of this thing that Definitely. you guys are doing. Definitely. This is, listen, we didn't, no, this would be a thing. Hey, listen. Hey, listen. Look listen, and listen. Listen and learn. <laughs> listen and kind of learn. We didn't know, and we fucking love it, and we're so like, we're proud. Of, we're so proud of you. Blessed. We're proud of you. We're grateful. We're proud of you for going to shows and and getting into the mix. Yeah. Thank you for supporting us. Hey, is it birthday corner? Oh, it is birthday corner. Is it birthday corner, Steven? That's right. It's Steven's birthday corner. It's Steven's birthday corner. Hi. Yay. <laughs> Steven, it that was, was your... very meek. <laughs> you know, I love this. Uh, I thought, yeah, I thought you were going to give a good hi. Uh, hi. Say hi, birthday boy. Hello. <laughs> it's like we're at TGI Fridays and he knows that someone's about to come singing and we're all just like, uh, oh, it's going to come soon. The worst feeling or you're Ooh. waiting for that sombrero to get thrown down Have on your head. Have you ever done head. that to someone whose birthday it wasn't? 
Oh, oh shit. Do you? That's twisted. Can yeah. I tell? Well, I won't tell it now because we're trying to give a birthday greeting. But one time people did that and they were talking about me before I came back from the bathroom and I thought they were talking shit about me and I started crying. <laughs> and then they were like, and then I just sat down at the table like full pouting. Oh my God. And everything got super uncomfortable. And then it was like, happy birthday oh, oh my god when i realized what it like was like they were actually doing was, the nice that's like so shows you what your brain does the worst that's incorrect it's, yeah when you're in a bad situation uh-huh. it was a, already a bad situation and it's like okay anyway anyway steven it's, this, is about, this is about steven this is about you here's <laughs> one no. second here's the thing in a card oh, wow. yes oh my gosh it's a big a old thing george is presenting steven with his birthday gift from us it's organic and whiskey. we're making you open oh, it on on camera. camera so much pressure <laughs> on camera um, there's so much pressure to like this i can do it with one hand okay good there's cat fur on the tape it's great <laughs> perfect it's part of the present right don't judge me it's from um, elvis and mimi they wanted to add something that's oh. what they oh i didn't add uh, it's all they could afford elvis oh. and- <laughs> uh it says california six woods mall uh, no don't give them a shout oh, yeah. out they didn't they, we paid for this i'll, I'll cut that out yeah, yeah, yeah i'll cut that out uh, steven slow hand it's organic whiskey. That's so cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my favorite. Okay, open the um, card though. Oh, and it, the card's the important part. And the organic whiskey, whiskey been, my favorite. <laughs> the whiskey, organic whiskey. My favorite. It's vegan, gluten-free whiskey oh with a bear on the front. It's also non-alcoholic. We hope that's <laughs> it's We're worried just, about you. It's oh just no. root beer. This is an intervention. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, should I read it? Yeah. Oh, okay. We want you. Uh, <laughs> dear Stephen, thank you so much for everything. We've donated $300. Oh my gosh. To Santi Dor in your name because you know you love the kitties. Happy birthday, Karen and Georgia. Oh, thank you. Santi Dor is a really great catch. Not, I don't want to call it a shelter. Yeah, it's rescue. Cat, cat rescue yeah, yeah. down close in our neighborhood. Yeah, it's, uh, oh my gosh. That you love. Yeah, yeah. I've done done work with them before. Yeah. The Christy Keefe has been on my podcast, The Percast. Right. This is so amazing. Yeah, it's like, because I've seen that you can do that. You can like basically like yeah. sponsor a cat. Oh my God, thank you. So we, well, we welcome. just gave it to them. I said, this is oh for gosh. Stephen Ray Morris. <laughs> <laughs> I like that that actually, the feel of all of that really turned into a, look what we did for you. <laughs> I no. know. Look at how good we are. Can I say that oh Vince gosh. was like pushing hard for like the past month? We're like, what do I get Steven? And he just kept saying, what about a house kimono he can wear around the house? <laughs> he just kept, and I was like, what the fuck are, why are a you fucking kimono. pushing for this? I was like, I don't know. I could just see Steven enjoying a house kimono. And I was like, he has a roommate. Just lounging around. Yeah. I mean, big there, sleeves. I mean, this is great. I mean, for a second, you were, it was like, pull out a cat. <laughs> just like, here's a new cat. <laughs> we got you a cat. Do you want a cat? Um, you can take that, where we take the $300 back and then buy a cat. Buy a cat. Oh <laughs> at a, like at a cat. What were they called? Mill. Mill. Oh, thank no. You. Oh. Uh, this oh, is no. much better. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Happy yeah, birthday. Happy birthday. 30th. Yeah, 30th. Oh, my oh. God. Yeah. The big 3-0. I wanted people to think I was 20, but it's okay. <laughs> um, also, what? you're fired. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. We don't have anyone over 30 in our... Uh, oh, no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's ageism. Mm-hmm. We, we totally support it. It's fine. Stephen, what are you going to in your next 30 years? Let's hear a oh. short-term goal. Oh. Uh, let's hear a long-term goal. Let's... Ha- how are you going to reposition yourself for the next 30? Like it. Um, I like it. Ooh, I want to invest in real estate. I feel like that's smart. <laughs> it is. Uh, it's like, what would we say? I want to yeah. eat a million things. <laughs> have have more donut companies make donuts of my face. <laughs> yes, that's smart. Um, and then have like a cat ranch, maybe just open Dude. up. Dude, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Really huge cats, like horse-sized yeah. cats. Oh. Cool. Like it's all yeah. Maine Coons, like the biggest cats yeah. you've ever seen. Children riding cats. <laughs> 
I think that's, I mean, that feels like giving back, you know? Yes. So. Smart. Yeah. These are all positive things. Yeah. What's one insane, stupid thing you're going to do? I mean, the one like, because I kind of feel like I'm doing what I love for a living now. And I feel really lucky to feel that way. Oh. Um, but the, there's always like that one insane thing that you're like, oh, if I had this, like, mm-hmm. I've always wanted to learn how to fly an airplane. Oh. Like, that's one thing that like I feel like when you can afford the gas money because like renting like learning how to fly isn't that expensive but renting the buying the gas is the expensive oh, part oh that's interesting and I've always wanted to like learn how to fly a plane Steven here's okay now we're gonna make a solid plan you do that you take the next how long does it take 18 months learn to fly planes <laughs> and then we get a private yep. plane I Ooh. knew you were going there right yeah and we go international yeah Fly over international waters. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No rules apply. Nope. Um, <laughs> we we're in a biplane. In international waters. And Karen and I are on the wings the whole time. <laughs> we Amelia Earhart the fuck out of this yeah. tour. That means we die on yeah. an island. Yep. Cool. Oh, wait, is that how it ended? Oh, yeah. They, they're pretty sure they found off an they, island her They found plane. Her. Wait, yeah. really? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Sorry. Oh, no, Happy no, no. Birthday. She's still alive. <laughs> Happy birthday, Amelia Earhart's like died of starvation. Thirty oh. is your bad news birthday. Oh. Yep, no. it turns out Amelia Earhart is dead. Oh. Can I just say too that it's part the, of growing up. Yeah, Santa's not real. Oh shit! Uh, um, careful, careful. The thirties, thirties are your best. The twenties, you couldn't fucking pay me to do my twenties again. No, I'm stoked to be thirty. Yeah, good. I'm really excited. Good. Twenties are a disaster. Uh, but thirties, I would say this about your thirties. Thirties, because you're out of your twenties, you think now I know, now I get it. Just remember that you do not know. Yeah. And that when once you're in the position of that, then you can kind of like be flexible. But my big mistake in my 30s is like, ugh, I'm so much smarter now. And I think that, that made me even stupider. Mine was that I have to grow up now. And I'm like, and you don't have to. Like yeah. people who are like, I'm 32 and I'm going to marry my boyfriend. And I'm like, don't fucking do that. <laughs> you don't even, you're 32. Like, just don't, don't take anything like relationships and jobs and whatever situation you're in as seriously as you think you're supposed to when you're in your 30s. Like you okay. can wait till your later thirties, which I'm about to be, to do that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Steven. Oh my gosh. Thank when, you. And now you give us advice. <laughs> well, as, the cat ranch thing was kind of in the real estate. <laughs> right, no, that was. Ranch. You're right. Real estate. That was good. He's like advice. I was kind of hinting that you two <laughs> idiots who don't spend your money well should. Uh, okay. Happy birthday to our, oh, to our friend so Steven. Well done. We're thank glad you. you're here. Yeah, we're oh. very glad we have you here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and soon you'll be paid for your work. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Someone, we were getting interviewed for something and someone was like, can I just ask, do you pay Steven? Like almost like you put him through so much shit. Do you at least pay him? And I'm like, yes. People are, they're very concerned that we're me- that we really are mean to you in like real taking, life. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not true. So there's right? $300 uh, of charity to prove we're not. You dick. Oh no. <laughs> um, I love it. Okay, good. That's uh, why he's here. You got a sister. You know what it's like to be treated like shit. He we knows. all, all three of us know what it's like to be treated like a sister, like a sibling. Anyways. That's right. That's why we treat w- at will with however we want, <laughs> um, coming from a victim stance. Now, I do have a corrections corner. Okay. Um, we talked about it a little bit in both <laughs> Indianapolis, Milwaukee, oh and Chicago, but I am Everyone s- is- forced to say to the nation and the world. I apparently. forgot about it. Everyone's holding their breath. 
I'm Cherry like, Hill. <laughs> Everyone knows Cherry Hills in New Jersey. Everyone knows that. Every every single person on this planet. I don't. <laughs> I certainly didn't. And neither do the producers of City Confidential because they really led me to believe that Cherry Hill was in Pennsylvania. Tell everyone, because I just love this, where it's like, so you did your murder a, a week ago before the live show aired. Yeah. And it was about... Uh, Fred Newlander. Right. The, the murdering rabbi. rabbi. Yeah. And... I thought maybe you were like, I did it once on accident, but you thought it was there. I didn't know. Yeah. Now, the problem with it really is that I feel like some other part of my brain did know that like the first indoor mall was in New Jersey. That just makes good sense. I guess. Yeah, you're right. Who who the fuck? No. Context clues. No. No, you're right. I mean, I don't. I'll just write down whatever and then say whatever. Middle of Pennsylvania, like middle of nowhere, not near Pittsburgh, has to be so boring that they're like, put them all here because everyone's <laughs> so bored. All they do is like cause trouble. Let's give them a place to go. Get, give them a nice indoor mall. Give them a mall. Like New Jersey's kind of fun. They have like cool, weird shit to do. Don't they? I don't know. I don't either. Well, I clearly don't know anything about any. <laughs> what I said to people when we were on tour was in California... You can't just go to another state real fast, which is how they were making it sound in the city confidential. Like the daughter lived in Philly and so she like drove into Cherry Hill. Yeah. So like that just led me to believe you can't just drive in. If you're in LA and you want to drive in from Nevada, that's going to take a while. I don't, I I mean, it just doesn't make sense to someone that lives on this part of the planet. You know what? Fuck it. Fuck it all. Who fucking cares? Fuck it all. Fuck it all. That's the, that's the tagline of this podcast. Why am I the one singing now? Because it's fun. You got to do fun. it. And also you can do it. You try to act like you can't and you can't. Okay. You just did it. You're right. I did it. Georgia, is there anything scarier than trying to log into an account and it tells you that your password is incorrect. And then you try again and it's the same thing. And after a few more failed attempts, big red letters appear saying you've been locked out and your account is suspended. That happens to me all the time, Karen. But scary password stories can have happy endings if you give 1Password a try. 1Password is a user-friendly password management system. It's trusted by consumers, families, small businesses, and large-scale enterprises. If you're tired of being the family member everyone texts for a streaming login or the unofficial keeper of all those shared work credentials, it's time for you to pass the torch to 1Password. They allow for secure login sharing. With 1Password, you can securely store more than just passwords, autofill everything from usernames to payment details and personal info. They'll also notify you about potential data breaches. 1Password saves everyone time. And in many cases, that save time equals money saved. The accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. I mean, you should, but don't just do that. The Associated Press uses 1Password to secure their sensitive information in high-risk areas. Right now, our listeners can get a two-week free trial at onepasswordcom MFM. That's two free weeks at one, as in the number one, password.com slash mfm onepassword.com slash mfm goodbye where are we now should we talk about the theme of this podcast yes murder oh not singing <laughs> <laughs> not Elvis. um you want do i go first you go first steven birthday karen goes first is it me cool all right then steven it's your birthday you gotta pick whoever you want to go steven first. it's your birthday um okay well tonight Today, this afternoon, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the murder 
of Hollywood super publicist <gasps> Ronnie Chasen. <gasps> Do you know this one? Is it a she? Yes. I think I don't know anything about it. Okay. Tell, take me there. I'm taking you back to 2010. Where <laughs> were you in 2010? Where did you live? I was 30. What? Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I'm liking Amazing. this. I was 30. <laughs> I was living in a studio apartment in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's really cute. It was like $800 a month, which is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. I thought you said I was really cute. Oh. <laughs> I was really cute. Well, uh, yeah, that's it. Go ahead. I had a um, shitty desk job that I fucking hated and I had no idea that my life would be what it is today. Mm-hmm. And I, I am so glad I didn't because then it wouldn't have happened. Did you wish and wish and hope that it that you would not work at a desk anymore? Oh my God. Because I have to tell you, when I, I had two different jobs in my early 20s that both brought me such intense, soul-sucking sorrow. That was my life until I was 30. Yeah. That, and I thought it would be that forever. But... I feel like when you're going through that, you think this, because I feel this bad about it, that means it's going to happen forever. But actually, if you feel that bad about it, it means it won't continue on, in my opinion. I fucking hustled my ass off to grasp anything that wouldn't get me there, that wouldn't keep me there. And that turned into a blog. A blog! Um, I like used to think like, maybe if I just get married and have a baby, I can have some time off. Like yeah. that's how yeah. bad it was. I was just like, "Yeah, get me out of here. I'll have a baby." Yeah, <laughs> I, don't even I mean they they do solve that problem. They, do. they but babies will get you out of the office. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and sometimes keep you from ever returning. Let me make this about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. You asked. I did ask you. I want to know because it was. It's weird to think. So it was seven years ago. So Stephen, you were twenty three. What were you doing? What were you doing, Stephen? I was just about to go to grad school in London. Oh, um, he's well, better than us. Wow. <laughs> bonjour, bonjour. I dropped out immediately. So, oh, oh great. Cool. Okay. Yeah. You're back. Bonjour, bonjour in London. <laughs> Karen doesn't know where Cherry Hill is, she doesn't know what language. I get offended by anyone that leaves the country or gets an education. It yeah. really pisses well, me out. Me too. Um, me, myself, if it was seven yeah. years ago. Where were you? Ugh. Where was Karen? I was, um, God, I was in a you very- You were married. No, no. I, I, you know where I was? I was in New York. I had just left my ex. I was like, mm. I can't do this. And I bailed and went to New York. <gasps> and I was in New York. This is when I got into podcasts because I was in New York. I knew about three people in the entire city. Mm-hmm. I had a job- um, luckily, and I would just come home. I would work all week and then I would come home and on the weekends I would sit at this weird little chopping block table in the kitchen. I would smoke out the window. Don't <laughs> smoke. It. It's bad for you. And I would listen to Dave Anthony and Greg Barrett's podcast, Walking the Room. Oh my God. And they would fight and blather and like, it was the funniest thing. It was just like, and it was just like being in the room with them. Yeah. So it was a weird way. That's why when people freak out and go like, I can't believe I'm meeting you. You don't understand. And I always grab them and I'm yeah. like, I do Me understand. Too. It's like everybody goes through awful things and needs that kind of like companionship. Yeah. And that's, it got me through kind of one of the hardest times of my wow. adult life was pretending that I was having a conversation mm. with Dave Anthony and Greg Barrett. My whole 
studio apartment was painted while I listened to podcasts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> on a, like, huge iPod yeah. that, like, someone had given me. One of those big, thick, blo- yes. blocky ones. Yes. <clears throat> All right. You guys, we get it. We understand. So who got killed? Okay. <laughs> now, I take you back to November 16th of that year. Okay. Uh, in Hollywood. So... um. One of Hollywood's most powerful and beloved publicists, Ronnie Chasen, has just left the premiere party for the movie Burlesque, hmm. the Christina Aguilera share joint Burlesque mm. um, at the W Hotel. Um, Ronnie's the publicist we for the movie. We were there movies. last night. What's that? We were there yesterday. Yeah, that's right. Oh, this one's really folding Personal. over and over. So she was the publicist for the movie's producer, Donald DeLine. She was also the publicist for the lighting designer, Peggy Eisenhower, and for the composer, Diane Warren, who'd written a song for this movie. Um, She worked the room, and she was now driving home down Sunset Boulevard. It was 12.28 a.m. when Ronnie's Mercedes came to a stop at the left-turn lane in the intersection of Whittier and Sunset. So if you've never been to L.A. before, most people know about... The Sunset Strip, which is like the most famous part of Sunset Boulevard. It starts, the Sunset Strip starts at Crescent Heights mm-hmm. and it goes um, all the way down a little bit past Doheny. And basically along that strip, you've got the Chateau Marmont Hotel, you've got the Comedy Store, you've got the Viper Room, you've got the Whiskey and you've got the Roxy. It used to be Tower Records yeah, was there. Huge. Book Soup is there. There's a little, a very Tony, Shishi chunk called the sunset plaza that has um restaurants and like the armani store fancy shopping fancy eating and um it's basically the it takes you right into beverly hills Mm -hmm. so once you get past that part the sunset plaza portion basically takes a turn and then suddenly there's trees and there's big tall green hedges that are blocking off humongous mansions that they don't want you to look at And it becomes like this gorgeous green drive. And um, a little further down on that drive, you've got the Beverly Hills Hotel that cost $1,000 a night to stay there. seriously. Did you know that? How much does it cost? $1,000 a night. Did you say... A thousand dollars a night at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Are yeah. you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I I was clicking to see how far down Sunset it was, and when you click on it, that hilarious Google thing happens where it's as if you're trying to book right. yourself there, and it's like over. It's like I think it's ten ninety eight a night. What? Yeah, because it's like you know the Polo Club. It's like the That's famous. So much money. Yeah, it, they only want rich people there. Oh fuck you. But or people that saved up. Whatever. No, go stay somewhere else. Um. <clears throat> But anyway, what I'm saying is, this is the end of Sunset Boulevard, because if you keep on driving, you end up at the beach, basically. Right. You you drive past Bel Air, which UCLA. is the richest, richest, yeah. UCLA, and then ultimately the beach. Um, and that's a sharp contrast to where Sunset Boulevard's, Boulevard starts, which is on basically Oliveira Street, downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, and 13 miles away, it has... Uh, I would say near the majority of Los Angeles has 47,000 homeless people. Mm. So the two ends of this street couldn't be more different. Totally. And when you get into Beverly Hills, the weirdest thing about this, anybody that lives in Los Angeles knows, like you don't go into Beverly Hills if you don't have a reason to go there. Right. Um, especially at night, it's empty basically. Yeah. So it's like if you, if she's driving on sunset at 1238 at night, 
there's no cars on the road. There's certainly no pedestrians no. ever. Um, it's a big wide street and it's empty. It's it's pristine, perfect, not a drop of litter anywhere, uh-uh. and it's completely empty. So <clears throat> um, most people, because L.A. and Hollywood is an industry town, most people are in bed at that time. All yeah. those rich people that live behind those hedges work their asses off and get up at five in the morning. Jesus. So uh, it's always, you know, like lights out at 10 o'clock over on that side of town, unless your job is premiere parties, which was Ronnie Chasen's job. <clears throat> that keeps you out a little bit later. So by 2010, Ronnie Chasen's clients had netted around 150 Oscar nominations. Oh my God. Um, seven of them had won Best Picture, including a three-peat between 2008 and 2010. So she represented people that either worked on or made No Country for Old Men, Slumdog Millionaire, and The Hurt Locker. Wow. But tell um, us what a publicist does exactly. Not okay. just the people listening, but myself as well. Okay, so you're, a publicist is the person that makes sure that the press and the media know about their um, clients' successes or career at the time. So, um, like, for her, like, for publicists, or, like, around Oscar time or um, award season is, like, the busiest time because that's when they want everybody to be on talk shows. They want everybody to be interviewed for newspapers and magazines and stuff. And, and they so don't reach out to you. Publicists reach out to them. <clears throat> exactly. So they're basically, they would call and say, you know, um, uh, my client Steven has this amazing podcast called the Percast that everyone's talking about these mm-hmm. days and you've got to get him before he goes big. So let's get some placement here, here and here. Mm-hmm. And they basically are like a, like an amazing stage mom where they, yeah. they talk about you like you are going to be the next thing. And because everything in LA is about you, you don't want the current hot thing. You want the right. next big thing. Right. So that's the publicist deal in the world of that. Then they also just deal in the day to day of actually booking people on, um, talk shows and like the all the stories of from my experience of working on talk shows is when something bad happens like say someone cancels or flakes mm-hmm. or say your show has to go down because like the electricity went off or mm-hmm. something the people you don't want to have to deal with are the publicists because mm-hmm. they're the people that come in and act on behalf of celebrities and they're the bad guy okay. so a celebrity will never be the one that's like I don't want to do your show mm-hmm. a publicist will be the one that's like they can't do it for this reason this reason but we can do it here and because I know you're disappointed I can also get you this person so okay. they're just a master politician they are a they're a cheerleader and they hustle 24 7 okay it's it's an insanely hard job i would never want to do it and it's a certain type of person that can do it yeah because you really do have to fucking do that are you kidding me no way i mean you you're on the phone all the time yeah and you have to like you have to like play the game the hardest I think because you are really like a salesperson but for people and so it's sometimes it's that I mean you've seen you can watch it in movies there's all kinds of movies about insider Hollywood stuff but like there are those times where publicists can make a star because it's like you uh, just by a series of of happenstance it's like something will happen on a production and say somebody drops, somebody breaks their leg and they drop out mm-hmm. and then they have to get replaced. Well, those, that person, like a team comes together and then starts pitching and fixing mm-hmm. and what, I mean, I'm, this is a completely made up scenario. I don't know what the actual technical thing is, but a publicist is the kind of person that can come in and sell you 
on some and on, on an unknown and actually make someone's career. Yeah. Um, and, and they, they do that more often than like a direct, you know, it's always like a director discovered me or whatever. Yeah. And it's usually like a publicist or a casting director. Also, they're women who like believe in people and watch people and and like vouch for people Fuck, essentially. Man. And and if someone owes them a favor, they could be like, "Well, put this person in your movie. He's my client." Exactly. Okay. It's all about favors and what if something happens, then you owe them a favor or they owe you a favor. Right. So then you get or I mean, they're reliable. They always bring me the right people. And yes. this is the person I call first. And in TV, that's what it all is. Yeah. Like you start to learn, and I barely know that side because that's the um, booking side, right. which I never had to deal with, and I wouldn't have. Been able to because I can't organize anything and they're the most organized people in the world but that's all they do all day is have those conversations where it's like well since you owe us the one from that Mm -hmm. now we we want this person on the day that their show comes out it's all like it's crazy politics it's amazing so she was friends with a woman um named Lily Zanuck and I she had a she has a second name in there and I didn't write it down and then I couldn't find it It's something Xanic. And I don't know if that means that she she was married to... So it's like hyphenated? It was hyphenated. So maybe it's just important to her that her original name was in there, but sure. I didn't write it down. Anyhow, this woman was friends with um, Ronnie Chasen, and she was also a producer who won um, Best Picture with her husband, Richard Zanuck. They made Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, wow. And Lily Zanuck was quoted as saying... Um, the Driving Miss Daisy campaign was all Ronnie, and that's why I thanked her twice at the Oscars. Wow. Yeah. So it's just that kind of like, the people in the business know who makes the engine go, mm-hmm. basically. And a lot of times it's it's publicists. So Ronnie Chasen was born Veronica Cohen in Kingston, New York in 1946. She grew up in the Bronx. She moved to LA to be an actress, and she changed her last name so that she had the same name as the famous restaurant Chasen's. Oh, wow. Yeah. Smart. Yes, it's super smart because it's like Chasen's is like an insider celebrity restaurant. Yeah, like back is she in the or day. isn't she part of that family? Like, yeah, you just are like, oh yeah, you better get a Chasen in here. Yeah. Um, she was on Guiding Light. She was on the Patty Duke show. Wow. Um, she's gorgeous. Like just, she looked like every other blonde actress um, in the 60s mm-hmm. and, or 70s. I should, I'm not actually sure. I'm sure she would hate me saying exactly when she was at that right. at that age. But basically, eventually, she transitions into PR, and she builds this huge career. And she's just a hustler. And she's everyone said she was just she was known for being brassy and unapologetically pushy. She just didn't give a shit. That's and she was weird. also really honest. So she would tell people to their face, like, um, uh, she said. Oh, her, she had a friend named Kathy Berlin, who was a New York publicist. Uh, and Kathy Berlin said, I used to say that Ronnie got half her pieces placed because she would, pe- people would just say enough already. Like they would just, she would just wear them down. Oh my God. Um, so she was also known as being real. People adored her, obviously. I, yeah. You, you, people like to talk about people being big assholes in this business. Yeah. But in my opinion, especially for women, you can't be that big of an asshole um, and get by. Right. Uh, you have, you know, the people have to love you and you have to have loyalty. Um, there's to be some charm thrown in there. There's gotta be, yeah, you gotta build loyalty to, to be as successful as this woman was. Um, and there's a story that someone told because, uh, someone who really loved her, who said she got a lot of 
um, flack because she used to always take a doggy bag home, no matter what fancy dinner she was at, no matter what fancy restaurant, everybody being trying to be Hollywood, she'd always take her food home in a doggy bag. And so people would like whisper, oh, she cheap or oh, she whatever. And what she actually did was she would take her food, (gasps) her leftovers to her mom's house So her mom could eat the fancy food that she was eating and like in, and she would share the like Hollywood night Aww. with her mom. Isn't that lovely? That's so sweet. I know. It's really hard for me to learn that you can't take half your food home at meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can. No, you can't. <laughs> I like, I'm so bad at wasting food. <laughs> But oh, like, I'm no, I'm done. I could eat that at home in the in my underpants. Yeah, but I have to say this. My dad told me this a long time ago. My dad told me this when I was like seven, where I was like, really, thanks for this amazing advice. But he was like, don't salt your food before you taste it. Right. And it was that whole story of there was like somebody yeah. lost a job because it's it shows that like you need to be able to try things and decide how they are as they yeah. are. Don't just decide you need to salt it. You're assuming things. Yeah, that's right. Hey, seven-year-old. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Yeah. That's really helped. You'll me. always get by, kid. <laughs> and I have. Yeah. Um, so that's. I was just going to say that's that's a similar thing where there could be somebody that you eat with that watches you take your food home because you want to keep it and goes, she's a smart, frugal, right, customer that doesn't give a shit who's watching her. Totally. Those are always the stories in Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood, anyways. People going not going along with the flow and being like, Ugh. I want my fucking doggy bag full of grilled cheese or whatever. Yeah. Anyhow, let's get back to biz. So we're now, it's a long, hard night of work for Ronnie Chase. And she pulls up at this intersection in Beverly Hills between Sunset and Whittier. No other cars, as we've said, no pedestrians. Um, in that situation, it's not unheard of for a Hollywood bigwig to just go ahead and take a left on a red. Mm-hmm. It's their It's their neighborhood. They do what they want anyway. They and take forever, those lights. They take forever, and no one's going to see it. No, totally. No one's going to see it. Yeah. But Ronnie didn't do that. She waited for the green, and that's when she was ambushed <gasps> by a lone gunman. He approached the passenger side of her car, and he shot On her foot? four times through the window. Holy shit. Uh, she was hit twice in the chest, once in her upper right arm, oh and once through her right, right shoulder that that bullet went into her heart oh my God. and it was that shot that was believed to have killed her. She, her car then took the <gasps> left and drove down Whittier South and glided a quarter of a mile down that windy what? street until it hit a light pole and um, crashed and set off the passenger airbags and was basically a car accident. Um, a couple minutes later, a car, uh, a couple passing in a car, spotted the accident and you pulled over, saw what happened, called 911, but people had already called because they heard gunshots in Beverly Hills. Yeah. So everybody was calling the Beverly Hills police. Um, Ronnie Chasen was rushed to Cedars Sinai hospital and she was pronounced dead at one twelve AM. Um, so most people assumed when they heard about this, it was either a carjacking or someone had taken out a hit on her Yeah, because it's such a weird, the idea, yeah. um, in just to give you a sense, uh, I got most of this information from an article that Guy Baum, Gary Baum, not Guy Branham, Gary Baum wrote for the Hollywood Reporter. And when he wrote this article, it was 2016. And in the article, he said, There have been no homicides in Beverly Hills since 2011. What? So in that five years, 
zero homicides Jesus, in Beverly insane. Hills. Yeah. Um, you think someone would want to kill his wife? Or I mean, or there, like- there had been the five years previous, there had been five homicides. Um, two of them had been that exact thing. Um, domestic abuse, domestic homicides. Mm-hmm. And um, those were solved. And then there were two other ones that were solved. And one was the shooting death of Mark Ruffalo's brother, what? which I'd never heard of. Mark Ruff- Ruffalo was a hair. Mark Ruffalo's had a brother. I believe his name was Scott and he was a hairdresser and he lived in Beverly Hills and he was shot to death in his house. What the fuck? Yeah. And they never solved it. Who did uh, it? They don't know. Karen Town. I know, right? So anyway, oh that's like it for Beverly Hills. Yeah. To, now we talk about fucking, you know, Filipino town, the thing we just, were just talking about earlier where it's like, how many homicides yeah. are there in a month? Yeah. Much less in years and years. Yeah. In 10 years, they'd had five. Yeah. And then there was this. Wow. So it's insane. Anyway, which is the reason the movie Beverly Hills Cop worked so well. Right. Because truly nothing bad happens there. It's the home of all the rich people. Yeah, everyone watch it. It's such a good movie. It holds so up. Good. It yeah. holds up so well. Okay. Sorry, so I lost my place. So also just know this, Ronnie Chasen's estate was worth $6.1 million at the time of her death. Holy shit. Yeah. So she was doing very well for herself. She was also single, no kids. Um, she's, you know, like a working lady. So three weeks after the night of the shooting, the Beverly Hills Police Department holds a press conference and states that the case has been closed. Uh, the suspect uh, was an ex-con named Harold Smith who had served time twice for robbery once um, <clears throat> in 1998 for a purse snatching where when the woman resisted, he broke her jaw. Um, and that happened on Doheny Boulevard, oh. which was about a quarter of a mile east of where Ronnie Chasen had been shot. Um, oh, shit. <clears throat> and so this is how they found Harold Smith. A neighbor of his, so he lived in this place called the Harvey Apartments, which is on Santa Monica Boulevard. Uh, just It's actually just north of Santa Monica Boulevard kind of behind Paramount mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. It's basically Santa Monica and Western, which That's is not a great neighborhood. Not a great neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so, and this apartment uh, building was not good at all. Yeah. It was mostly, um, it was a lot of drug addicts and, uh, and just people who were just getting by. It was, it was, it was bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, so a neighbor of Harold Smith's calls, in a tip to America's Most Wanted, saying that he had shown up, Harold Smith had shown up at this neighbor's apartment 90 minutes after the killing in Beverly Hills, asking if anything had been reported on TV, and then saying that he needed to go back to Beverly Hills because he had left his bike there. Oh, no. Um, And then the neighbor said he saw the report of Ronnie Chasen's murder on the news, and he knew he put it all together. Right. Um, so at 5.30 p.m. on December 1st, after Beverly Hills police get this tip, um, they go out to question Harold Smith. They find him in the lobby of the Harvey Apartments. And when they identify themselves to him as police, Harold pulls a thirty-eight out of his pocket and shoots himself in the head. <gasps> Shut the fuck. How did I not fucking know this part? I know. It's crazy. I've never heard this part. I knew about the shooting. Yeah, me too. But I've never heard this part. Oh, my God. Okay. So this neighbor, 
um, that had called in the tip, he, uh, he had been keeping some boxes for Harold Smith because Harold had been evicted from the Harvey apartment six days before. Mm-hmm. And that's why Harold came back to that guy's house mm. um, that night. Mm-hmm. Some of his stuff was there. So um, the police find this out or know this and go up to the neighbor's house and start looking through Harold Smith's stuff that's in the, in the uh, neighbor's apartment. And there they find four spent shell casings um, among Smith's belongings. And they test those against the ballistics and the Ronnie Chase murder. They're a match. The police announce they have their guy and the case is closed. <clears throat> Um, they took such a confident position um, at this press conference uh, that even though they had not looked into her bank statements, they had not looked onto a hard drive of her computer, hmm. they had not checked her cell phone records. Um, they eventually got to that the following March, but at the time they made that announcement, they had not looked into almost anything in her life. And the fact that she, a lot of people make note of the fact that she had an estate with no heirs worth $6.1 million and a family, you know, um, she, sorry. So I'll just finish this. The, the following July, Beverly Hills police, um, issued a news release stating that it completed the exhaustive investigation. And without a doubt, it's the conclusion um, of robbery homicide detectives that the sole perpetrator of this heinous crime was Harold Martin Smith. So, uh, last year, the Beverly Hills police finally released the files on this case and they were partially redacted. So you, you couldn't read everything in them, Mm -hmm. but this reporter that wrote for the Hollywood reporter, um, read the ballistics report and it actually the the ballistics report actually says that although the two guns in this case um have similar characteristics they're not uh they're too insignificant for identification so actually the ballistics reports report does not confirm that that he was their guy at all um the files also reveal that the police did not dust for fingerprints on the right side of the car which was where the shots were fired from what? no fingerprints dusted over there they also never released the security camera footage from the neighborhood yeah the night everyone has security cameras it's fucking beverly hills yeah. and a man named tt williams jr who was a retired lapd um homicide detective um, who also, he gets called to testify about police procedure a lot. He uh, was stated as saying um, this about the lack of video footage memorializing Smith near the crime. He said, quote, there has to be some security cameras in that neighborhood that would have caught him. I mean, Beverly Hills, give me a break. You've got a black man supposedly on a bike in the middle of the night. He'd be stopped 15 Fuck times. Yeah. He would have stood out like a sore thumb. Seriously. Um, and not surprisingly, they never released the footage from the lobby of the Harvey apartments the night of Harold, um, Harold Smith's suicide. And they had security, um, cameras in that lobby. Wow! So that whole moment where the cops identify themselves, that's all on camera. No one's ever seen that footage. Um, also of note, the gun that Harold Smith, pulled out of his pocket um, and shot himself to death with was later determined to have been reported stolen three years earlier 
by a retired LAPD officer from his home in Santa Clarita. Oh. Okay. Just, just a little, a bit of a question mark there. Okay. Um, guns get stolen all the time, then they go on the black market, anyone can have them. Yes. Okay, but the fact that it on. wasn't a cop's gun, a retired policeman's gun, isn't, I think, isn't good. Totally. Isn't that's not it's good. a it's the oh I said oh it's exactly that of oh I can connect those yeah which I'm not gonna say but well I mean that's all it just so I'll end with this which I think is very interesting it's a quote from a man named Stan Kephart who's a former police chief in Arizona and he also serves as an expert witness in cases involving law enforcement operational standards. And he said this, it's not what you think about a suspect, it's what you can prove. And it appears that there is room for doubt that Harold Smith is the perpetrator in this case. Holy shit. They didn't really prove um, factually that yeah. he was the to- perpetrator. They just basically said he was and closed the case. And, and he's dead. Yeah. He can't defend himself. Wow. It's so interesting when you hear like, well, he had this and he did this that night and this thing happened and he's done this in the past. And you're like, yeah, okay. He's obviously, he obviously did it. The end. But you don't think about the, like the deep, the deep evidence or the basic things like fingerprinting that side of the car or the obvious things like security cameras. You just hear these blanket statements and you're like, duh, but. Well, you go, that's easy. Like, that's an easy, you tell me that a black ex-con is shot somebody. Oh, this, here's the other thing. Her purse was still in the car. It's a Prada bag. It was on the passenger seat. Mm -hmm. So he, so they're saying that he shot into this car four times and didn't take anything. Mm -hmm. There was nothing taken from the car. So he just, it, it's not a smash and grab. It's not his style. It's not his MO, which we do know can uh, escalate. Mm-hmm. But in this case, he didn't even steal anything. Mm-hmm. So now he's gone straight to murder. So basically, he's not even a, it's not robbery anymore. It just doesn't make sense for someone to do that there either. You Because you can't bl- then blend in no. with the rest of the city. You can't go hide in someone's backyard. No. You're just... You're like a waiting, what do they call it? Duck? A sitting duck. Well, also you, um, so that actually takes apart a bunch of things because they figured out that that neighbor who said that that he put it all together because he knew then it was Mm -hmm. Ronnie Chasen's murder, her name wasn't released until the next morning. So there was no way he could have known that during that conversation. Um, Also, if he, if it was 90 minutes after the, the shooting took place. How did he get back to those apartments that fast? That's true. Especially if he left his bike. Right. So what did he leave his bike and jump on a night bus from Beverly Hills into Hollywood? And in that case, then they should have had the bus driver testify. Right. Or like that, or that would have been in the report. that Someone had seen him coming back. That would have all been added to the argument that it was him. You're right. Um, Also there were, and I mean, this is like, this is, isn't even speculation. It's just like kind of random facts. But there were family members in, in her family that in her, she had rewritten a new will in 2006, but they couldn't find that will. So they went off of her 1994 will. Uh-oh. And in that will, she gave the majority of her estate to one of her nieces. Oh, no. And she had another niece that in the will, it said 
I knowingly and and what being aware of the implications this might cause leave you ten dollars. <gasps> 94. I mean, maybe she was a drug addict then and sucked. And then 96, they're like, all right. I just don't understand how, don't you have to file a will like with a lawyer? No. In fact, I watched this thing, Joy Bay, it was whatever, it it may be headline news, whatever, Mm -hmm. Joy Behar was the host of it. Mm -hmm. It was just a YouTube video. But this woman on it said, you actually can write on a napkin, this is my last will and testament. It doesn't have to be filed anywhere. If you sign it and you are of sound mind, it's legal. That seems so absurd because it's like, it's just then someone can pick it up out of your fucking sock drawer, light it on fire, and yeah. there's no will. And I'm the next of kin. You know what I mean? Like yes. you would think you wanted to get, you'd want to get it notarized and give it to someone that. Well, you should keep it in a safe place. Yeah, like definitely. A, what is but it? you, but it's just the legality of it. It doesn't need a lawyer's anything. This is what this woman on this thing said. Yeah, that it doesn't need any. It, it doesn't need a notary so or anything. It yeah, seems such such a. It's like it's that thing of like, well, if you can get away with it, then congratulations. There's no. No one will look into it. With what? What are you talking about? With burning someone's will or like oh, getting right. rid of the 2006 will. Right. Then. Yes, that's exactly congratulations. right. Congratulations. Well, yeah. But that, I mean, that's why you keep things in, you know, something like a will you would keep in a, what do you call that? A safety safe deposit, deposit box. Yeah. But what if she goes and, yeah, totally. When you don't give out those keys. Yeah. I don't, I've never had a safety deposit box, but I will only have one key when I do. I have a PO box and it's very exciting. <laughs> it's like, you feel like a grown up. Uh, anyway, I I think that's a fascinating one because I saw, oh, there's a show called Demons in the City of Angels. Oh, I, come um, on. Which is, which, uh, it's hilarious that it's like specific only to Los yeah. Angeles, but this, that's what caught my attention because it started and I watched it going, oh, I do want to know yeah. how this turned out because I remember hearing about it and Me then too. hearing nothing. Yeah. And basically it's just them going, um, we kind of don't buy it. And isn't it interesting that you and I who remember this happening and it kind of being, you know, if, you know, it was in your industry, then mine, like, we had never heard about it again. Like, it's almost like, yeah, we got, like, they got the guy really low key, not, maybe not letting a lot of reporters into the press conference. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It, it's interesting that we never heard anything more about it. She had a bunch of friends in this article. It was, it made me sad because I feel, it's like, you know, this type of woman, mm-hmm. you know, you know, this lady. Oh, yeah. It's like, she's smart and sharp and like pushy enough to make, to be the top of in the top totally. of the business in such a hard business. Yeah. Um, they all her friends say if it was her friend that died in a suspicious mm. way, she wouldn't rest until she found out yeah. what really happened. And she wouldn't take no for an answer. And she would so that's it's really sad because I think it's that thing of like there's a lot of people going, I wish I could do something or I yeah. wish I knew something. Or maybe they're right. And am I supposed to do something even if I think the cops are right? Like, what do I do? You know? It's just so it's just too convenient like to find who the fuck keeps four spent shell casings in their like box in their boxes in their shitty apartment you didn't check them into the la river as you were walking home in 90 minutes but you leave your bike at the scene of the crime sure like sure none of it also how do you get how do you get back across town at night you can't get anywhere in 90 minutes in los angeles No. no not even in a fucking car i mean the traffic um 
Anyway. That's great. That was really interesting. I never followed up on that. Hopefully. We'll hear more about it soon. <laughs> um, they're trying to make, they were trying to make a documentary about it, but yeah. um, they were having a lot of problems. Well, it's funny because we're having a theme today. Oh, really? Los Angeles. Um, what did the LAPD do? <gasps> question mark. Really? Um, racial issues. What happened? Tampering, etc. Wow. But first, I have to pee. <laughs> Sorry. This is where the commercial will go. <laughs> so this is one I've wanted to do for a while, but it's scary to tackle because it's kind of big. It's And it's every time I go back to look into it, it's just like, it's a lot. Okay. Uh, this is the, the story of Maitrese Richardson. Do you know this one? Mm-mm. You probably will once I tell you. So 7 p.m., around 7 p.m. on the night of September 17th, 2009, 24-year-old Maitrese Richardson pulls her Honda Civic into the parking lot of Joffrey's, which is a fancy pants restaurant on the Pacific Coast Highway. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's one of those, like, Joffrey's. It's, like, super fancy pants. Like, on the coast? Like, on the coast in Malibu. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's very, like, it's oh, spelled Malibu. Joffrey, not Jeffrey. You know what I mean? Um, while she's there from the valet to ordering her food, interacting with other patrons, her behavior is erratic and bizarre. Um, but she wasn't threatening in any way. Um, when the bill came for 8951, she, Matrice couldn't pay. So when she was confronted by staff, she announced that she had come to avenge Michael Jackson's death. Oh no. I know. Management decides to call the police and they say, we have a guest here who was refusing to pay her bill and we think she may, she sounds really crazy. She may be on drugs or something, but my Richardson wasn't on drugs. She's a 24 year old, smart and beautiful African-American woman from South LA. She graduated from um, California state university, Fullerton with a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology the year before. And at the time, she worked as an administrative assistant at a freight company. But she wanted to work with children. And at the time, she volunteered as a mentor for at-risk children and worked with kids at a cheerleading camp. So um, it's not really known why she was in Malibu, though, which was 40 miles from her home. Uh, They think maybe she was visiting the campus of Pepperdine, which is right by Joffrey's. Um, you know, to look at the campus, but just sorry, side yeah, note. Yeah. I told my mom when I was a junior in high school that I wanted to go to Pepperdine because my friend Jen Mason's older sister, Becky went there and my mother laughed in my face <laughs> and said, who's going to pay for that? Yeah. Because Pepperdine is insanely expensive. Yeah. Volleyball college on the beach. Yeah. Basically. It's Tony. It's for the rich. It's for rich people. Okay. As is Joffrey's, which is how you build an $89 dinner for one person. I could do that at Applebee's. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I had a $60 lunch today with Vince, so let's be be realistic here. I swear to God, sometimes when I start, when I get a pretzel as as an appetizer, I could just eat nine pretzels. Do it. Okay. Cheese sauce? Yeah, well, I mean, that's crucial. Yeah. I, I'm not going to eat them dry. <laughs> what like, do I look like? Big and soft and then have like a thing of that cheese sauce. Am I a monster? Mustard. 
I hate when they try to get creative. Okay. I hate when they try to be like, this stupid aioli or whatever the fuck. Oh, no, no, no. And then, oh, like a, it's a mustard that's got spicy honey in it. No, no. (laughs) Just give me cheese sauce like they serve at Applebee's. That's all we want. We want anyone wants cheese soup. But we can't, and we know it, because polite society says it's not okay unless you're in, like, Wisconsin. Right. So give me a bread to dip it in it and be okay with it. Fine, I'll pretend it's a dip. Fine. 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 It's the same thing with onion soup. Like, I just want to eat bread and cheese with a spoon. But fine, you can put a little broth underneath it. Whatever. If you need me to be that fine. Okay, sorry. That was a real left turn. (laughs) Um, Cheerleading camp. Uh, So they don't know why she was there. But it seems that she was suffering uh, at the time of a previously undiagnosed manic episode, which uh, is also evidenced by her her Facebook posts recently, which were incoherent and rambling. She said things like, "There are signs everywhere." Um, small with a smiley face, and then another said, "I just want to sleep, lol." But you know me and my crazy ideas. Let's see where they take me. Smiley face. Aww. Yeah. So that's it- like. Did she not know she was manic? From what I can tell, no. And her mom, I think they were all very surprised by it. Okay. By the fact that this is, they think that's what happened for sure. But nobody knew what was going to happen. Yeah. It seems like it was undiagnosed and unknown. I'm sorry to ask this, but when when was this? 2009. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, no one listens in the beginning of what year it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> I it's don't. hard to focus. Yeah. You're I just, like get to the story. Yeah. I settle down. I'm still thinking of stuff I said, yeah. my story, my thing. 2009. Where were you? 2000. <laughs> you were near 2010. Oh my God. This is like, it's like we picked a theme for this episode. That's so true. But we didn't. That weird chunk of time. We're just like, it's like our periods are synced, but our murders are synced <laughs> instead. <laughs> it's all coming together in the red tent, Steven. Yeah. Steven's writing this one down because he's blushing so hard. <laughs> He sisters. loves a good period joke. Sisters. Sisters. Um, ba, 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 ba. Signs. Three nights after that last post she wrote, she's at Joffrey's mm. going through this shit. Um, three LAPD deputies arrive. They call Matrice's, it's Matrice, I believe, not Matrice, Matrice's great-grandmother who offers to pay the bill, but she would have had a fax and image of her credit card which she wasn't able to do because who the fuck has a fucking fax machine? In 2009, yeah. Don't you hate that? Yeah. So they were like, nope, sorry, grandma. Sorry, great grandma. You can't do this. Um, they search her car and they find a very small amount of marijuana as well as bottles of vodka and tequila and half a case of beer, but they gave her a field sobriety test and she passed. Okay. So I'm sorry, yeah. but the officers could have placed Matrice in my trees in an involuntary psychiatric hold based on her odd behavior. But they said that that would have required a lot of paperwork and a trip to the hospital. So instead they arrested her on charges of suspicion of not paying for the meal and possession of less than one ounce of marijuana. And they took her to lost Hills police department. Uh Oh, I know upon her arrest, her phone purse and money are locked in her car and the car is towed to a tow yard. What? Why? She's going to need that after. Well, oh. Lost Hills Police Department, again, fancy pants police department and a fancy pants part of Malibu, like really nice area. 
Um, it's the same station where Mel Gibson was taken after being pulled over for drunk driving and yelling anti-Semitic slurs. Mm-hmm. Same station. But but they, they let him keep his purse. Well, <laughs> well, they escorted him from Lost Hills to his towed car that because they treat famous and rich people, which is what their neighborhood is. And white people. Remember in the Big Lebowski, stay out of my beach community, he throws <laughs> yeah. a mug at yep. Big Lebowski's face. Yep. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> stay out of my beach community. <laughs> it's just like that. Yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, Mitrice didn't receive the same treatment as a famous asshole. <laughs> uh, Mitrice's mother called the Lost Hill station around 10 p.m. And all of these phone calls you can hear on YouTube. And I fucking listen to them. Oh, no. Um, she's asking if they're going to book her and release her that night. And saying, it's dark and she doesn't have a car and I don't want her wandering. And she's like, I'll come pick her up right now. But if you keep her overnight, that's fine. I'll get her in the morning. I just want to know you're not going to release her. And this woman is... You know, she's clearly upset, but she's just like, I don't know what's happening. I'll deal with it. She's a together woman. Yeah. Um, she's the mother said she's not from that area. And I would hate to wake up in, to a morning report saying girl lost somewhere and her head chopped off. But the deputy assured my Teresa's mother not to worry. I can't breathe. Hold on. <sighs> okay. But yet at 1230 in the morning. My Trice, with only the clothes on her back and without a purse, money, or her phone, was released into the darkness and cold of the Santa Monica Mountains. Why? Which you and I, like, let's, let's set the stage again from Beverly Hills to Santa Monica Mountain in Malibu. It is fucking remote. It's huge houses on a lot of land that butt up against the Santa Monica Mountains, which are not pretty hiking trails. They're fucking wilderness. It's, yeah, it's scrub brush. It's, there's no, there's nothing commercial around there. No. I well, think that's what they said too, is nothing was open at that point. All yeah. businesses are closed. They close at like six. Yes. And there's, it's like even the businesses that are there are really few and far between. Right. It's not like Shopping you're going to walk up and get, yeah, you have to basically be down in the city of Malibu yeah. to be close to anything. And Ugh. the Santa Monica Mountain is where all the mountain lions live and uh, it's really rocky and hilly. I went to Jewish camp there and it was totally wilderness i mean it was not cute yes um it's not the city no it's really not and this is a city girl who had never been out in the wilderness like this so all businesses are closed public transportation doesn't really exist out there you know they have like bus to the shopping center and back but not you know real transportation and she's 11 miles from her car at the Malibu tow yard the walk would have taken her up and down hills through a tunnel along the shoulder of a highway winding through the mountains which i fucking have driven there and you get carsick just from driving it's a crazy mountain also i'll tell you this from my research 11 miles just so you know, yeah. it's 13 miles from Beverly Hills to downtown Los wow. Angeles. So she would have had to walk slightly oh, less than that long all the way down Sunset. Far. That's ridiculous. That's a day's walk. Um, so when her mom calls the next morning, she finds out that my trees had been released. And I listened to the fucking message, the, the call and it's they're blowing the officer is blowing her off and she's like how long do i have to wait to file a missing persons report and he's like well wait a couple hours and then call us back like they're they're very being being very casual and she's like she doesn't know the area she didn't have anything on her what the hell's going on and they were very flippant about it 
and were like, let me try to track things down. Call me in a couple hours, which is like, can you imagine waiting for your child for a couple hours? Um, and then, and then she said, you know, I, she doesn't know the area and she's in a depressive state. So she probably had some clue, of, you know, that something was triggering. Yeah. So at 5.30 that morning, a homeowner in Cold Canyon, which is right next to the actual Santa Monica Mountain Canyon, called Lost Hills to say that there was a prowler walking around. He told the dispatcher that the prowler had been sitting kind of sprawled out on these wooden steps in the back of the house, but had disappeared into the surrounding wilderness. And other neighbors said that they heard and saw uh, Mitrice either leaving or attempting to enter the man's home. Um, and that they heard loud screams in a vacant home around the time that she went missing. Um, but they searched the area and didn't find anything. And, uh, later they searched the area. They called the police. I don't know if they came. That was the last time my trees was seen alive. She disappeared into the Santa Monica mountains and, uh, five for five months, the lost hills. So she disappeared, uh, super crazy wilderness gone only her clothes that she had on, T-shirt, jeans, sneakers. So for five months, Lost Hills insisted that there was no surveillance tape of the police station because they wanted to see this, you know, like what happened, when did she leave, what state was she in? But they miraculously found the tape five months later sitting on a desk. Mm. Um, according to Mitrice's mother, the tape shows her daughter in an obvious, psycholo- an obvious psychological distress inside the intake towel, uh, cell. She clutches, quote, she clutches at the mesh screening and is rocking side to side like a small child, says a cousin of hers. Um, but a spokesperson for the department said about releasing her, she exhibited no signs of mental illness or intoxication. She was fine. She's an adult. Okay, but you don't let them go without a fucking wallet or cell phone. Yeah, none of this makes sense. Like, it doesn't add up. Is she an adult? Then, then what's... Like, then why are you treating her? Why would you lock her purse away? Yeah. And not answer questions to her parents. Okay. Don't worry. It gets worse. Okay. Like it always does. Mm -hmm. So the station log shows that Mitrice made four phone calls to her grandmother, but AT&T phone records don't reflect those calls for whatever reason. Um, so the surveillance tape also shows a deputy leaving the station right after my was released, like leaving towards where she was going. Um, but the deputy maintained that he wasn't at the station before the tapes were released. He said he wasn't there that night. Then when he was caught in his lie, he stated the night this nonsense happened, I was one of the guys that kept away from this minding my own business, which is like what that insinuates that something was going on that yes. you kept out of. Yes. Well, also, it's your job to be at the police station and take care of the people that are at the police station. That's not nonsense. Right. That's your job of a person's in distress. This isn't, this is a person that is in mental distress. Well, the nonsense could have been, you know, the actions police took when she got there, whatever happened to her there, if anything happened to her there, I'm speculating, so... That's the nonsense he could have been talking about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so three, it wasn't until three months later, January 2010, that Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department conducted, so three months later, conducts one of the largest scale searches in the history of the department 
over 300 volunteers uh, trained in search and rescue uh, participate in the 18-square-mile search of the area of Malibu Canyon and the hills of Malibu Creek State Park. They find racially and sexually offensive graffiti on the walls of a culvert in the canyon. The graffiti was freshly painted, and the paint cans, brushes, and other potential evidence was left at the scene. And Matrice wasn't found. Finally, almost a year after she disappeared from the station in August 2010, park rangers who were looking to see if marijuana growers had returned to Dark Canyon, they stumble on Mitrice's naked, mummified body. She was in a very secluded creek bed in Malibu Canyon with the clothes she was wearing the night she disappeared scattered around. Oh, so they were had been taken off of her. Yeah. Or she took them off. Now, here's the most fucked up thing. Okay. Okay. Deputies, by protocol, should have waited for the coroner to arrive so that Mitrice's remains could be photographed, the site inspected for clues, and the crime scene established. Instead, against orders by the coroner, who later said that he, quote, was very clear with officials, the deputies bagged Richardson's remains and airlifted them by helicopter. Whoa. Before the coroner could even get there. Whoa. This is okay. The coroner said that he could not think of another case in which police agency had moved entire skeletal remains without coroner's approval. To prove this point, months later, Mitrice's mother, to, so I can, so this is proof, Mitrice, how badly it was done. Mitrice's mother was visiting the site where her, bod, where her daughter's body was found and found a finger bone that belonged to Mitrice left behind in the dessert, in the dessert, in the dirt. Oh, my God. I think there's an article that they're with her, and they find that. That's, in, that's insane. Finds in the spot. Oh, look, and digs out a fucking finger bone that had been left behind because the proper people didn't. Did they eventually prove it really was hers? Yeah, it was her for Fuck. sure. Um, and there have also been small toe bones, finger, and vertebrae found left behind. And also the bones from her neck, there's bones from her neck, foot, and hand missing from, you know, her her body, her remains. So. What? Yeah. The fuck? This was such a crazy case because I I followed it step by step. So her leaving, I was like, what happened? And everyone was like, what could have happened to her? And then you see the the surveillance video and you're like, oh, that's some shady shit. Then they find her body and then the bones are fucked. It's just like. It just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Um, so the disturbance made it so that the coroner was unable to determine how she died. Right. Of course. I think that would be the idea. Right. And the jeans, belt, and black bra that were discovered a few feet from her body, they were found, but they were not tested for signs of foul play and were buried along with her. So they weren't tested for any DNA, any, you know, ripping or anything that would have... Uh huh. This is like that thing. It's it just reminds me of like it, it where you don't know what things you need to be in place until you realize they're not in place. So it's right. like once a coroner tells people don't move that body, and the police airlift the body away, shouldn't then those police be frozen in no longer they're no longer active duty in this case because they're clearly hiding something. Like, there should be protocol for the coroner to then go to some other police chief. Yeah. And this is where, so this article I was going to, that I got a lot of info on, uh, it's a Newsweek article by Alexander Nazarian, 
who this article is really great because he talks a lot about the LAPD corruption and why this could have taken place and the like rampant racism that was going on at the time to a point where, you know, the second in command is going to prison for 15 years because of corruption. So it's incredibly corrupt. There's like, you know, rampant anti anti rampant racism. And yeah. so he tells, I don't talk about it a lot in this, but he tells background of why this is so obvious and, you know, could have happened this it, way. When you, and I think most people that are into true crime watched the, um, the ESPN 30 by 30 of yeah. Simpson. Yeah. That part, uh, of the Daryl Gates era of the LAPD was so shocking and eye-opening to me. And it going all the way back to the riots in mm-hmm. the 60s, um, it it's just so crazy how long this has been a, a humongous problem in Los Angeles that has never that hasn't been solved or even addressed, really addressed. Really. Yeah. No, for sure. And it's it's not not happening anymore. You know, it's it hasn't changed at all. No. No. It's just hidden better and you know, we've we've put a band-aid over some of the things to make it look less horrifying, but it's still there. Well, and also it's just the it's the rationalist the justification of using the the violence and the crime that happens in the day-to-day to then justify right. any behavior. Right. On the part. I mean, it's just it sucks. I've plenty. I have a bunch of people who are police people in my family. Yeah, you do. I'm not anti-police. I'm. I, it's down to the person, though. Yeah. The, especially in this day and age, it's down to the person because there's because it's just such a. It's like such a closed. You know, like it's a frat, basically. Well, yeah, and in L.A. and I'm sure a lot of other cities, specifically, the cards are stacked against you if you're not white and you don't have money. Yes. And you're, you know, the cards are stacked against you. You're not, you don't start at zero sum at all. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want to forget that as someone who lives here and knows that I'm fucking privileged as shit to be where I'm at. Well, and also just, we don't have to think about totally how bad it could be. I mean, this is like, this is like saying you can't be mentally ill or you will just be almost literally thrown to the wolves. Right. It's insanity. Yeah. And what did happen to her at that police station. Yeah. Then it opens up that whole door. The mental illness thing is incredible because it's like, you should have taken her and admitted her for psychiatric treatment because she was mentally unstable and unsound to make her own decisions. And not only did you not do that and keep her in prison or keep her in jail until her mother could come or someone could come, you let her out without money, without a jacket, without any, you knew she wasn't going to get anywhere. It's not like she could have hitchhiked or maybe she did hitchhike and that's what happened, but they're still culpable. Right. Well, yeah, also, what's the, if you know, see, that's the thing is, this isn't just a random person that they don't know and like, well, too bad for you and you're an adult. Yeah. There's someone contacting you, telling you what the situation is, telling you there are concerns. 
and you still do the thing against that person's wishes. Yeah. That's what makes leads me to believe something else was taking place. Because why would you hide? Why would you say, we just let her go and she left and it's not it's, our problem? She's an adult. She's, that it makes that feels like cover up. Well, it's cover so up, crazy. The mom specifically was like, she doesn't know the area and I don't want her to get killed. Yes. But what's so frustrating to me listening to the tape of her mother calling is like this feeling of nobody, like, I think a lot about when you call the cops and they don't help you, what do you, you can't call the cops again. Right. On the, like, that's your last. Yes. That's your last. That's supposed to be the last option is you call the cops and they help you. Yeah. But it's so sad to be like the moment, the minute she, they told her to wait two hours and she hung up the phone. I picture her in her house and her family having to wait two hours. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. And she's not a runaway. You know, you let you guys let her out. And the minute they're like, oh, shit, they're, then they're culpable and they're open for when also it doesn't make sense because it's like, oh, if you're going to treat this person like, oh, there, look, she went to a, a restaurant, she ate $80 worth of food and she couldn't pay for it. And we arrested her. Okay. Got it. Yeah. All of that makes sense to me. Yeah. You're, it is illegal to do that thing. And there, but there, then you learn there are extenuating circumstances. Yeah. And it, so clearly it wasn't that big of a crime to you if you just released her the next day. Right. So you didn't. There, this isn't, you're not holding her for a uh, robbery or yeah. what would that be? You're not holding her. She, that's not stealing. Well, when I, when I was a teenager, you know, like in seventh grade and got caught stealing, you know, they give you a ticket, like they ticket you like cop would. Yeah. And you move on, you know? Yeah. It's like, well, why didn't that just happen? Well, it's because they then searched her car and found, you know, but then they're not holding her for drugs. They're not no, holding her she for liquor. No, because she took a sobriety test and she passed. Yeah. Fuck. It doesn't, it's just like, you can't, you can't justify the police action in this because it, nothing is adding up to this is a criminal and so we treated her like a criminal. Mm -hmm. It's like, may, you know, this is a person, this is say a criminal who ate $80 worth of food that she couldn't pay for in a manic episode and where all, people do way crazier shit. Well, than that. yeah, we've talked about Elisa lamb and how that could have been what, what, how she got in the water tank, which, you know, if you compare these two cases, it's like, yeah, you do crazy shit when you're going through a manic episode. Yes. But also, the the lost i feel like you're talking about we're talking about a police department or a police yeah police department lost hills that deals mostly with rich white people upset about something they don't know how to deal with something like this and so they i don't know yeah yeah so that i think that makes a big difference it's not like it was you know the hollywood police department which also wouldn't have been as big of a deal because if they let her out in Hollywood, she'd have fucking places to go. Well, and also I would think that they would be much more used to dealing with people with mental illness, the Hollywood police department. Right. Like there's that one on Wilcox. That's just like never not hopping totally. day and night. There's somebody pulling in or pulling out of that. For Cause sure. that's my, that's my sneak up to get out of Hollywood and go home. Don't tell anyone the sneaks. Wilcox. That's, that's my sneak at Wilcox, man. That's like, that's the North South fountain. Yeah. Um, but totally, <laughs> but I mean, like, 
it, you're right. It's like, it's almost like a privileged police department because they don't have that much happening there. So they don't have experience with these sorts of things. And when they do, it's like some crazily rich, drunk white woman yeah. in or her Mel Mercedes Gibson. who's like, fuck you. Or Mel Gibson who... Or I think, didn't also they pull over Reese Witherspoon and she said, do you know who I am? <laughs> Is that, I bet you're right. I'm pretty sure that happened in Malibu. Yeah. But anyway, whatever. That's that kind of thing of like, everyone's kind of living up to this certain, so it's suddenly like, oh, there's a black girl that ate, ate food she couldn't pay for. And she's acting a little bonkers. Yeah. So now we're going to treat her like the criminal she is. Well, okay, but then that means you would... That that would mean process her in a criminal way yeah. that keeps her safe at right. least. That the thing of the mom going, please don't let her go. That's just we have to get plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> so my beautiful new house is now having plumbing problems. Is everybody? I don't know, but I hope that's not a ghost. It's just plumbing problems. <laughs> It just suddenly starts like like it's about to overflow with like fucking with racial tension. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, yes, all of that is correct. Da, 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 da. They find her body. All these bones are missing. They can't determine how she died. Um, and then ugh, her shit's not tested for foul play. Okay, then there's no explanation given for why investigators were never able to find her Vans sneakers or her T-shirt that she was wearing when she, when she disappeared. Uh, I don't so like her that. her jeans, belt, and black bra were there, which is like you could be like, well, animals came and got them, but it's like why would they pick a pair of shoes and a T-shirt and not all this other stuff? And her body wasn't messed with. It's not. Right. Also, I, that makes me think of I did a, those stories about the deaths on Mount Hood. I mean, was no Crater Lake, the Crater Lake um, stories that mm -hmm. I did in Portland. And one of them, there was a guy that they found his body like years later, and mm -hmm. it was a skeleton sitting in jeans. Like jeans don't just come off. It's not that animals can't take your jeans off. Right. Right. Yes. Um. Animals can't take your jeans off is what Steven's writing down right now. I can tell. Um, Don't think about what he's Sorry, doing. sorry, sorry, sorry. We need um, a, like a booth to put him in where we can't see him. But also, it, going back to the Elisa Lamb thing, she took her clothes off too. Right. That's the thing that, that happens to manic people. Yeah. And, you know, I think another thing people don't understand is how fucking cold it gets in the... I know LA is like warm all the time, but in the mountains yeah. in LA and especially in Malibu by the ocean, you're next to the ocean, really fucking cold. It's cold. So maybe she was having hypothermia, which is a, a thing that they take their clothes off, but then why wouldn't they have found the rest of them, you know, traced her, the trail she took and found the other stuff. Okay. Um, my Teresa's parents have maintained that their daughter should never have been released on her own. Um, by the sheriff's department, they filed several lawsuits against the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department for releasing her from jail, even though they claim she was experiencing severe bipolar disorder at the time. In 2011, they won a civil lawsuit against the county. However, two reports by the Office of Independent Review found the LAPD not culpable for Mitrice's death, deeming it was not it was not a homicide and there was no foul play. 
Then why do they airlift the fucking body against the coroner's wishes? And the coroner couldn't say how she died. So how can you defin- definitively say it was a homicide? It was not a homicide. Yeah, because yeah, you don't gave that report. Yeah. Well, you don't have the neck bones to test to see if she was choked to death because you fucking left them behind. Yeah. It's months later. Yeah. The body has been out there for months. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No. So I'm yelling at you. You're the one that told me the story. (laughs) Da, 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 da. Um, And they also, they were also cleared of any wrongdoing in how to, how it handled the discovery of her remains. So they were like, and also it's fine. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Sounds great. (laughs) Rhonda Hampton, who's the woman that Alexander uh, Nazarian from the Newsweek article, like kind of goes around with and interviews her. Um, She was uh, a psychologist at one time in an office where my tree said intern. So she's really devoted to finding answers. She's just this really awesome woman. She filed a dozen complaints about the various deputies involved in my case. Nine of these were registered with the internal criminal investigations bureau, but they are treating them as instead of, uh, instead of, let's see, they're treating them as service complaints, not matters of potential criminality which is like they're just belittling them, you know, or, yeah, minimizing them. On December 30th, 2016, which is recently, uh, results of the criminal investigation into the uh, handling of Mitrice's case concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support criminal prosecution of anyone involved in the handling of the case. And either way, the statute of limitations for concealment or tampering of evidence, like the surveillance tapes, had passed. Wow. The end. I mean, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's just straight up shit-tastic. And I, I mean, fuck, man. So that was a theme of the day of sucktastic shit. It's almost, well, it's like rich cop, rich um, police departments getting caught doing what they want and yeah. then covering it and not getting any kind of and not getting in trouble f- for it. Yeah. That's the thing about opening the door to prosecuting police then opens the door. To, it, it, I understand that thinking that it, it opens this door to like, um, anybody, but yeah, it's it, like, goes, it, it goes get, deeper and deeper and, you know, but still, it has to get solved because there are such, it, it's like, it's the most natural thing in the world. The, the exploitation of power. It's like you give a man a gun and say, you have the legal right to use this on whoever you want, you know, to your discretion is so much power for one person to have and man or woman or whoever. They're has just it. people. They're people like you and me that just are now, police like they're not they're my neighbor they're like any old dude they're your fucking ex-boyfriend yeah. or girlfriend they're not and they're also people who are being traumatized by what they see in the streets mm-hmm. every day or like um uh what's it called when you just stop caring about it apathy yeah yeah so but but there's like real things going on did you ever watch southland it was such a good show no it was such a good show um 
My good friend Sean Hattesey was one of the stars. Oh. But and he was the best. But um there was a character on it that used to take a ton of pills because he had like an on the job injury, but he didn't want he couldn't go right. out on disability. So he was just in tons of pain all the time and then just taking tons oh. and tons of like painkillers. And it just is like it was just the most fascinating, like the it's there's a why behind all of this. Yeah. It needs to get analyzed and it needs to get fixed. Yeah. And that's like part of it is that where it's just like you're going out there, you're in pain, you're you deal with the worst society has to offer every single day as your job. And you have to make split second decisions on what's going to happen to who and why. Yeah. And you you have to stand behind those or else you're going to look weak and your whole department's going to look weak. Yeah. And you can't. Yeah. It's just it's 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 rough. I do have a good piece of news. Okay. If we could, we could actually finish this on like an uptick. Let's do it. Which is kind of interesting because again, on the LAist, um, I saw an article this morning that the LAPD is revising their use of force policy <gasps> with an eye toward de-escalation. Oh my God. I love that. Can you fucking believe that shit? That's, that's the word that needs to be in place constantly de-escalation. de-escalation you're you can do that so it said on tuesday the los angeles police commission approved a revised i'm trying to read this article and someone's calling me <laughs> who was it i almost i almost picked it up oh I shoot almost, i have to text somebody now now i have to wait till they stop calling me so i can go back to my thing start who calls anybody? I mean, okay. On. Okay. We'll come back in here on Tuesday. The Los Angeles police. Don't cut that Steven. <laughs> Don't you dare. That's real. I was bragging about getting calls <laughs> on Tuesday. The Los Angeles police commission approved a revised use of force policy that favors de-escalation over use of deadly force. The new policy requires officers to try and de-escalate situations using non-lethal force whenever possible before firing their guns. That's a huge step somewhere. It always blows my mind when, yeah, it always blows my mind when someone, a cop shoots to kill someone when you could have just shot them in the shoulder or in the knee or anywhere. You don't have to shoot them in the head. Like on Los Feliz Boulevard near where we live, like not a few months ago, some guy, I don't know what he was doing, but cops shot him right in the fucking head. Yeah. And it's like, if you thought he was, he was burglarizing someone, he definitely didn't have a weapon. Just shoot him in the fucking knee, man. Yeah. There just needs to be more tools. Yeah. And more options. I think it ever, it's, it's becoming such a like it, all or nothing. Yeah. I mean, who knows? I don't know. I, I'm just saying from what I read and these reports and the fact that, you know, these videos that go up where it's like the cop that just, there was a jaywalker. Did you see that? No. The, it, yeah. It's just another one. It's a video that during all the other horrible things that are happening, people are going, can we please retweet this and make this a story too? Cause it's a guy that's jaywalking. The cop comes and just fucking cold cocks him <sighs> and gets him on the ground and just starts beating the shit He's out of him. He's jaywalking. jaywalking. It's that stuff where it's just like that stuff has to stop yeah and that's that one guy who is a fucking piece of shit you know it's not like that unfortunately he represents the entirety of his you know of tired of of police but it's probably this fucking asshole and maybe his partner's like jesus i've been warning them that this guy's insane or whatever i mean yeah it's just 
It's awful. I know. So, yeah. Can I, I'll tell you a thing that's funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Vince sent me this article today that this, this wife, this ex-wife of her, her husband's dying of cancer. That's not funny. Um, <laughs> and he's like a couple of days away from dying. He's kind of out of it. And she wanted him to die with a happy thought in his head. So she told him that Trump had been impeached. Uh, I almost started crying when I heard that. Cause isn't that sweet? And he believed it and he was like, okay, oh. I'm so glad to hear that. And then he died. Can you believe It's so touching, but it's also so awful. It's, it's where we're at. Hey man. It is where we're at. Making the best of it by talking about murder. Whew. We're doing it. Whew. Um, um, happy birthday, Stephen. Happy birthday, Stephen. Please do something about police corruption as soon as you can in your 30s. Stephen, did you please? You have one job to stop police corruption. Please. Can we please? Um, and thanks for listening, you guys. You're yes. fucking gorgeous people with beautiful souls and hearts. Thank you so much and stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Bye. Bye. Oh, Elvis. Elvis, do you cut this part where we are just talking and he doesn't come sometimes? Elvis, you want a cookie? Oh, come on. Elvis, you want a cookie? (laughs) Oh, he's just a dick about it now. He he waited till he got to the mic. Elvis, you want a cookie? Yeah. All right. There it is. Want a cookie? Good boy. Mimi, go to sleep. Stay sleeping.